Well, maybe it's like Casey says. Fella ain't got a soul of his own, just a little piece of a big soul. The one big soul that belongs to everybody. Then... Then what, Doc? Then it don't matter. I'll be all around in the dark. I'll be everywhere. Wherever you can look. Wherever there's a cop beating up a guy. I'll be there. I'll be in the way kids laugh when they're hungry and they know supper's ready. And when the people are eating the stuff they raise and living in the houses they build, I'll be there too. I don't understand it, though. Me neither, Mom. Just something I've been thinking about. You're listening to the All That's Holy Blue Collar Podcast. Thought-provoking interviews with interesting guests and commentary on everything. From sports to gardening, from good food with close friends, to great music and movies. Provided by your hosts, Justin Ackerman, the millennial, Cody Stoffer, the reluctant Gen Xer, and Craig Morton, the token baby boomer. These guys are allergic to big words, but not to big ideas. Profound things will be said, but they will be entirely by accident. Thanks for tuning in to episode number six of the All That's Holy Blue Collar Podcast. On this episode, Crash Test Craig and I talk about the young college football season, school starting back up again, and the nuances of cursing. I interview Daisy Rain Martin, an author, educator, and activist about her latest book, Hope Givers. Music on this episode includes Rachel Platten, Stand By You, off of her album Wildfire. It's a theme song for Daisy Ray Martin's book. Can't Let Go by Kata Ghost, off of their album Human Nature. Bummin' off of Reliant K's new album Air For Free. Of course, we also feature music from Toots Thielman in honor of his recent passing, the classic Moon River. Well, Craig, as you know, here's the thing, man. College football is like right around the corner. I think it starts... As we're recording, there's games that start next week. So aren't you pretty excited about that? Well, you would think I would be. I mean, you're a football I'm guy. Huge. I love football. But no, I'm not. I'm not excited you know, at all. In fact, did you know the very first game was last night and I didn't even know or care? That's sad. That's very but, sad. But, was, but here's, here's, what, here's what's really sad. Yeah. In fact, it might be like something in the air. It might be a virus. I don't know because right. I'm in the same boat. No. I mean, I, I right now I'm really not caring at all about college football. And what is going on? And and I think part of the disease for me that makes it even worse is I got a kid who plays college football. Oh. And you're not feeling it right now. I'm not, I'm not feeling it. Now, there may be some of our listeners who are like, well, yeah, welcome to my world every year. Well, but then. But what? But you and me, that's not doesn't feel right. Well, it doesn't feel right in so many ways, because one, it it, it is our world. Right. Exactly. <laughs> OK. You, if you don't like NCAA football, if you don't like football at all, fine. That's your thing. Right. But well, if you like football. College football is like the holy grail, man. Yeah, I mean, it's even better to me. It's even better than the NFL, right? Because there's Division One, Division One AA. You got, you know, you got NAIA. Mm-hmm. You've got, you've got hundreds of teams out there. Hundreds of teams to choose from. Lots yeah. of great kids and storylines. No kidding. In NFL. I mean, NFL. You've just got a bunch of millionaires, you know, right. beating heads together. Right. Um, <laughs> 
and and that's you know it can be fun to watch, but it's it's like watching, I don't know, it's like it's it's like watching a prof, you know a professionally well crafted uh, movie as opposed right. to high school theater, exactly. you know. Exactly. And and so I can name all the reasons to get excited about NCAA football. Oh yeah. But I'm not feeling it. But we're not feeling it. So I'm. I'm it. Wow. What's going on? What is yeah. happening? Is it because I wonder why it would be? Is it there a lack of what would it be? A lack of it can't be a lack of coverage. I'm sure it's wall to wall coverage from people. It's it. I'm sure it's wall to wall. And, you know, I think for me, there's also a personal element to it. Okay. It's like, OK, I I'll I'll get excited next Saturday <laughs> when my son has his first game. Oh, uh, yes, of course. We'll be excited for him. But I'll be excited for him, and I'll be excited about his team. Right. Will something then click? Like, will that be mm. a catalyst that mm. then all of a sudden, boom, I care about all NCAA football? Like, so the spark might be your son's game. First game. Is he playing? Is he starting? Oh, yeah. Well, his, it's his, well it'll be his second year. So he started oh, last year. Oh, 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 okay, okay, okay. So he was a starter last year. This is his second and last year JUCO football. Ooh. And so... Yeah, you know, in some ways the pressure's on. This is the year that has to be all the highlights, has to be everything for recruiting for the next level. Right. And um, he's excited. Yep. Um, and that's great. Oh yeah. Um, you know, he's he had a scrimmage the other day and he was all excited and he's like, oh hey, it's time to get fall film ready. I'm you know it's gonna be it's, you know like that's gonna be great. Yep. And that's cool. And so maybe that's when things will finally click and I'll go oh into, you know college football hurrah but. <laughs> But right now, right now, just not feeling it. Oh, okay, well, that makes sense for you. That might be your tinder, your fire. But what about me? Uh, Is it going to be? Maybe it'll be the same thing. Maybe if I go ahead and tune in next week to Boise State. Oh wait, they're going to be hard to tune into because their games aren't available regionally. No, they're not. They're, oh. in the, they're in that uppity we're ESPN people kind of thing. Well, and I think they're not even being broadcast on that. There's like this weird thing where locals won't be able to watch them on yeah. the first game. Yeah, and, and I, I'm, I, it's also what is it? This is the the uh, uh, the Mountain West right network or something like that? Mm-hmm. Oh man, how am I going to get into it? Maybe I won't. Maybe this year college football is dead to me. so but so what is it that you like about college football well uh so let me put it this way what is it in the past has that you know what have you liked in the past about college football Well, i like maybe some people don't like this but i like that there's a it's renew it's renewable because you get all new players to root for and learn about and there's, it's like a dramatic because is it going to be, is it not going to be, will this player be good? Will he not be good? There's recruiting. You know, we spent all this time recruiting these players and are they going to pan out? You know, that kind of stuff. Like I like that. Then I just like the fact that it's, you know, they're, they're kids who aren't, well, I shouldn't say aren't getting paid. They're getting some benefit. Uh- but <laughs> yeah, they're, in, they're, they're division one. They're getting paid about $70,000 a year. Right. At least exactly. that's, that's the cash value. Right. But I mean, you know, they're up and coming. They've got something to prove, which is probably why I always like Boise State. Um, one, just because obviously I'm from Idaho. 
but two because they've always got something to prove even though you know in the they've had a lot of success they still always have that blue collar attitude well they kind of do that's why i don't like them anymore (laughs) oh come on well, okay. So here's the other part that I that, and I think this also gets to that personal level, uh-huh. where hey, this is my kid I'm talking about, mm-hmm. you know. So when, and I, I think I've bragged about him before, you know. So like his junior year, he's the number number two receiver in this in, in Idaho, right. And BSU comes and spends five minutes on on high school campus, right. And they simply say, oh, we don't want to look at him. He's too slow. Aww. Even though he's been a you know state. Uh, qualifier state, you know, uh, places in the, you know, top three, top four for state in track, you know, wait, he's not too slow. He goes to state for track, you know, he's, and he catches the ball because he's so tall. And it's Mm -hmm. like, but, but um, it's like, wait, if that's how you recruit locally, you're not looking for blue collar because then they all go for the, to the top recruits from Florida, Texas, and California and uh, kind of ignore the local kids. But when they do get a local kid, yeah, they'll make a huge publicity deal about right. it. Right, it's true. true. You know, it's like, hey, we get the local guy. See, see, you know, it's like, no, no, you're just, you're just using that person as your excuse. <laughs> right. So anyway, but that's that's, but I think all of college football does that. Oh yeah, no, they do. You sure. know, they, and and so they're not playing. They're not to me. BSU uh, turned their back on what made them great uh, in the. Uh, you know, in the uh, the Fiesta Bowl the first time, mm-hmm. right? Because they right. did that with a bunch of people, everybody ignored. True, that's true. And and so if you can make yourself great with the people that are ignored, mm-hmm. that means you've got an incredible coaching staff. Right. And now they've got a coaching staff that wants a finished product that comes to college. Yeah. Rather than somebody that they're going to develop over four or five years. Yeah. Okay, I can see that. I understand. I understand. So is that that's kind of my my point of irritation. Yeah, um, I get and it. It's not, and it's not BSU. I think everybody, you know, a lot of teams do that, but I think those mid-major teams, mm-hmm. you know, teams like Ball State University mm-hmm. or uh, Northern Illinois, um, you know, you've got you've got these teams that a lot of people ignore, but over the last few years, have really surprised people. Right. Uh, kind of like how Louisville used to do. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And then. And then once they get on top, they forgot. They tend to forget how they got there. That's true. I could see I think, that. Yeah, I think that's a huge uh, spiritual issue for. I mean, or <laughs> not not to build a metaphor, but just say I think sure. it's something we all struggle with. Oh yeah. As soon as we've quote unquote made it, we forget what it took to get there. Right. Ah, okay. I could. All right, I understand. But I, but I think so. So I have a more of an existential kind of eh, with with college football in Boise State. And in, in Boise State in particular. Yeah. Oh, and I, no. I guess I would say it's probably not that Boise State is the, the standout of that example. It's just they're the local that the, you hear about all the time. Right, right. They're the local. Now, the other one, though, is I tend to always cheer for the underdog. I always love the underdog. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, except in one case, uh-uh. uh, University of Idaho. <laughs> they, they don't really quali- they don't really qualify as an underdog <laughs> i mean they're just bad they're, they're so bad they don't even reach underdog level oh i know I'd, I'd love to cheer for them but it's it's like no they're just they're just terrible how about when obama kind of gave him a shout out remember that no what was that okay so what would it have been 20 
who 10 or 2009 they actually started they, they had a big upset of somebody they started out oh they won like five of six games or something like that and like they were the cinderella darling for a couple of weeks it was a uh, achy under achy oh yeah yeah um and so obama said something like about them uh what was he what did he say i don't remember i don't know if i can even find it but anyway there was a time. There was a time. He name-checked them because they'd upset somebody big. Like, uh, who would it have been? I don't know. You know, it was like a once-in-a-lifetime deal. Well, that's the other thing is they usually start off their season, you know, like they started off their season one year, I think, against USC or UCLA. Right, right. They started off against LSU another year. You know, these these huge teams that, uh, Yes. <laughs> and it would be an incredible upset, but um, yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. But anyway, so yeah, there was that one time they were kind of like the darling under they they had reached underdog level, and so they got mentioned. Well, now, so since we began this conversation as a kind of a confession, you yeah. know. Mm-hmm. That means we feel like there's something wrong with this particular perspective that we both share. Right. Wait, wrong with liking college football or not being excited about it? To to not be not not being excited okay. about it. Okay. Okay. That there's there's something there's something um, should I say even sinful <laughs> about about our level of disinterest. I I guarantee there'd be college football lovers who would agree with that. Yes. So. So what do we need to what what penance do we need to to overcome this? Well, I have an idea for me. And that's this. I have a series a documentary series all about college football. That's like 5 DVDs long that I've never seen. Oh, I own it. And it would like go through it goes through like the history of college football up to whenever the DVDs are made. Maybe I should watch those and see if I can regain some passion and love. That's good. It might kindle something. I don't know. You know maybe I should watch uh, We Are Marshall. Ooh. Or Netflix has a uh, interesting series either out now or coming out soon called Second Chance You or something like that. You heard about that? I'm trying to remember if we watched that one. It's about... Okay, so it's about, I think, a junior college that... Oh, it's called Last Chance U. That's what it's called. Last Chance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, yeah, I think the first season's already out, and they've been renewed for a second season. It's on Netflix. And what it is, it's about these college football players who've been... Basically, they're on their last chance because of whatever. Maybe they've made some mistakes academically or off the field. And so they've been kicked off of their team you know off of their first original universities and this junior college is all about giving players oh yeah their okay, last yeah. chance yep all right so yeah i'm just yeah it's east mississippi yeah 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 college yeah mm-hmm. yeah i started looking at that so you want to you could watch that maybe i'll try that give it a go and then i also oh. want you to uh, for penance, you should watch. I think the 2007 Fiesta Bowl game again. 
<laughs> that might do it. That really might do it. Oh man, talk about it. So, okay, all right. So, so uh, we got to get on our penance. I now what? Um, are you? Are, do you feel? Do you feel like your your load is lifted and you feel less less burdened by your by this guilt? Just getting it out there, I think, is a big step. It, it really it really is this feels almost more like um you know a process yep <laughs> i mean the first thing is to admit that you have a problem exactly there's my problem we've got <laughs> and this is a time we've both got it uh, all right well I, I i i hope that the lord will walk with you in this and <laughs> that you will find strength to overcome and find that love again yeah, amen. Hands, put your empty hands in mine. And scars, show me all the scars you hide. And hey, if your wings are broken, please take mine so yours can open too. Cause I'm gonna stand by you. person interview so this is historic that's good good <laughs> i guess my first question should be did you think you could get away with it <laughs> i always get away with it <laughs> yes yes oh that's funny so you're on your hope tour yes i am 2016 yes and it's going to go into the fall it is because so i'm running out of summer <laughs> right and uh you know right now i have this momentum mm -hmm. going and things are all coming together just at about the same time that i'm getting ready to go back to my other job which is uh teaching right. middle school mm -hmm. and i've got to be really engaged and present and focused on my kids right of course seventh graders 12 year olds the coolest people ever <laughs> in the history of the world yeah um and uh you know there's just more churches that are interested in having me come and speak and so we'll just go into the fall and we'll just ride this wave as long as as it goes so give my give our listeners at the podcast just a brief biography who is daisy rainmark goodness crazy <laughs> uh that's funny um you know what? I am just a girl. I, they call me the Hope Girl, bless their hearts. Um, and uh, I wasn't always the Hope Girl. I was raised in a kind of a juxtaposition, which is the reason that uh, my first book is called Juxtaposed. It's a comedic spiritual memoir. Um, and I was raised in, in two different halves. Uh, uh, the one half of my life was my grandmother who was the manager of the Platter singing group back in the 50s and 60s. And so she moved to Las Vegas uh, and was, I mean, it was wildly popular, but then, you know, 
the platters have, you know, they have their, their sweet spot that decade, a, you know. A shelf so, expiration date yeah, a little bit. Yeah, well, they, you know, and they have really lasting power. Mm-hmm. I mean, you still, she still receives royalties oh, yeah. and, and everything on the music, which is great. That's, that's mailbox money, right? <laughs> so, um, but she closed down all of her offices in New York and Chicago and LA and she, she settled in Las Vegas in 65, 66 and just uh, loved that town. And so I had that half of my life that was all glitter and glamour. And, you know, you pick up the phone mm-hmm. and Dick Clark's on the <laughs> other end, you know, right. and there's there's all these uh, music rehearsals and shows and there's all of that. But then right. the other half of my life was not as glittery and glamorous. I was raised in an uber fundy, very religiously conservative home which is all fine and good, except that it was also very abusive. And one of the reasons that I am an advocate for uh, child sexual abuse is because that is where I came from. It's a block I've been around. So, you know, people's faith, you know, I have I've all the respect in the world for a person's faith, but my, our, our home was just mixed with a, a level of hypocrisy that was just phenomenally, you know, overwhelming and so I um, I grew up and I, I I told what happened to me and there were there was you know a couple people didn't believe me so um, I wrote a book and told the whole world mm-hmm. and uh, my book my first book juxtaposed uh, finding sanctuary in the outside is uh, he it was my my publisher's number one top-selling book in 2012 awesome. so then I'm going to churches you know and I'm speaking about you know, child abuse. I had a little bit. I, it, it's not a. That's not an easy sell. I didn't have a gigs booked. <laughs> right. You know, Sunday after Sunday. You know, it's kind of a really hard subject. Yeah. Um, but uh, people in the churches that I did go to would start would come up to me and they would they would just tell me their deepest darkest secrets. Right. I'm trying to pour out hope. I had one lady. She was at least 127 years old. She came up to me after after I got through speaking. Uh, I was at a, uh, my home, my own home church in Las Vegas, Trinity Life Center. She came up to me and she said, "What I'm about to tell you, I've never told anyone." Oh, wow. She says, "Not my children, not my husband, who's been long dead." And she mm-hmm. told me about her grandfather uh, being a perpetrator. And uh, I just didn't want people to wait 127 years right. before right. you know. Um, so I started talking about hope. And uh, this book, Hope Givers, was born, and, right. and uh, so it, that little book, though, has had so many challenges, but boy, we pushed through everyone, and it took me a while to figure out what Hope Givers needed to be, mm-hmm. and, um, and, and so here we are. Here we are. Yeah. So what is a Hope Giver? What, how do you define a giver of hope? The first thing I do is... To, to explain what a hope giver is not. Okay. Mm-hmm. A hope giver is not someone that goes around spewing out rainbows and glitter, and I say this all the time, uh, splattering, uh, you know, happiness on sad people right. to make them want to put their arms around life again. Right. You know, it's like you, you get these hope, these, these pictures of a hope giver, you know, that they're flitting about, you know, singing Doris Day songs. I don't, I don't know who those people are. I don't, <laughs> but hope givers actually, uh, the way I define a hope giver is that um, is someone who intentionally and purposefully, mm-hmm. deliberately, right, uh, 
places themselves in close proximity to the suffering of others in for the sole purpose and i always say the s-o-l-e purpose and the s-o-u-l purpose uh of pouring hope Mm -hmm. into their lives and sometimes that looks like just sitting with people okay Mm -hmm. so and we we, i go into a lot more detail in the the book obviously yeah. yeah um so for you, telling your story and mm-hmm. getting it out there was a key part of your uh, progress, journey, healing, and all that. You know, people ask me, is, was writing juxtaposed uh, was writing juxtaposed cathartic mm. for you in any way? And I say no. No. Okay. It really wasn't. Um, it, I, I had already done so much of the emotional, spiritual work. Mm-hmm. of healing and restoration right. before I ever okay. embarked on the endeavor of writing it. Mm-hmm. But I'll tell you what was super cathartic is Hope Givers. Oh, and, um, okay. and and I, I actually put Hope Givers away for a long mm-hmm. time, um, for several months before I figured out what it needed to be. Because in 2013, when I'm trying to write this, I had so many friends lose their children right. or, you know, suffer some devastating loss. And... Here, I'm trying to write a book about hope, and it really yeah. was a, a journey for me in mm. figuring out what a hope giver needed to what be. What did that that year, that period, I think uh, it's four. You know, it was four friends you lost mm-hmm. and then two more. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. including somebody who committed suicide. Yes. And, yeah, just a lot of tragedy. How did that change the trajectory of where you're going with the book? And, and, and then how did it change you as a hope giver? You know, I think I really was trying to splatter happiness on sad people. Mm-hmm. I think I, I think I was the the gu- guilty of the very thing that I figured out that hope givers weren't. Um, and there, you know, I I've never in my adult life I've never had any um, appreciation for pat answers, mm, right. simple answers, because that's all from my past. Right. You know, I know that that pat answers didn't work for me. I would say, you know, those 10 cherry picked Bible verses that I've memorized, you know, to answer every single one of life's questions (laughs) and problems. And, you know, if a person were not uh, receptive to that, well, I just I just knew that the Holy Spirit needed to just work on their hearts. You know, they just and that's not what it's about. And 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 really, I had to go through the process of remaining Mm -hmm. close to grief, you got to cuddle right up, and it's such a that's that's a hard sell too. Right, you know, in churches, I think that is the very antithesis yep. of how we are socialized to be as American Christians. Mm-hmm. We have to pursue life, liberty, and that's happiness, right. and that is our God-given right. Right. Yep. And yet, I think the message of Christ says, "In this world, you'll have trouble. You know, right. take heart. I've overcome the world." But you know, this. Um, this escapism, you know, from it, people just want to be anywhere, mm-hmm. but you know, except for in sadness or grief or turmoil. Right. So, when it, when you were coming to not not necessarily grips, I mean, you you knew what your story was and you knew exactly what had happened to you. But when other people started telling you no not some that's not true you mentioned that some people said no that didn't happen oh that my views didn't, didn't happen yeah right. yeah yeah mm-hmm. was there ever a point where you doubted what your oh, no. story was no you were okay not at all no and in fact um 
when I was a freshman in college at Vanguard University, mm-hmm. and it used to be called uh, Southern California College when I was there, I took a psychologist uh, or a psychology class and learned about this really boss strategy called repression. Right. I thought, exactly. oh my gosh, that's what I want. And I even prayed. I said, oh, Lord, okay. please let me forget, you know. Right. Uh, and I didn't, you know. That was just one more prayer, mm-hmm. you know, that I felt like he was so dodging, you So asking you know? for repression. I was asking for repression. <laughs> oh, wow. I thought, oh my gosh, yeah, that's that's <laughs> awesome. I want to do that, you know. Wow. Just wake up in the morning and it's like it never happened. But, right. you know, obviously that's... You know, not the way yeah. healing goes. Right, right, right. So, uh, <clears throat> so, what would you say to someone who is kind of struggling with? Should I? What's the point in telling my story now and being honest about it? I mean, now it's in the past. I'm mm-hmm. past that, and mm-hmm. I don't. You know, I'm never going to go back there again. Why? Why tell the story? Why be? I, I've heard that. Yeah. I, I've heard that actually in in going out and talking to people, and really, I don't. You know, I have to tell people this. I'm not clergy, you know, I'm not fluent in 15 dead languages, I don't exegete scripture, you know, I don't do that. I'm not a therapist, and um, I'm not any part of the legal system, you know. This is just two people talking. So I would would never want to um, tell someone what to do, and I always make that very clear. I'm just a girl, you know, who, who has a similar story. I can tell you from my own experience that freedom has come in finding my voice. Right. And that is what I wish for everyone, mm-hmm. is freedom. But I also want to say that when you do tell your story, because there's probably pain embedded very deeply in, in your soul, right. that you need, to, you need to come out with your story with a therapist mm-hmm. who is trained in, uh, in trauma. Right. And because you can re-traumatize yourself, you know, if if you're not in a in a really safe um, place Mm -hmm. and with a safe person. In fact, um, a a lot of re-trauma comes Mm. when you tell your family, Mm. right? Because they're so torn. It's you know, statistically, it's someone has abused you who's in your family. Statistically. Um, it's not the stranger danger that we we all you know mm-hmm. tell our children about, um, but it's someone, it, or it may be a coach or a pastor mm-hmm. or right. you know someone that has put him or herself in close proximity to those who are vulnerable, because right. that's the that's the mo, right. you know. So um, when you when a person, uh, I don't want to say I don't know, comes out <laughs> of the closet, of this, you know, or however, for lack of a better uh, term, um, when a person does finally reveal mm-hmm. what has gone on, the first uh, instinct for a family is, I mean, they can't even wrap their heads around it. Right. And this is what I talk about in my free ebook, if it's happened to you, mm, right. that. First of all, you are up against this individual's primal sense of self-preservation, and it is primal. And so they are slick. They have lived a level of deceit that is unfathomable to regular thinking people. Mm -hmm. And so um, the strategies to minimize and deny and deflect and gaslighting, I think they call it too. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's overwhelming. And, and without any sort of, um, 
backup or support for the victim, they often stand alone. Mm. They're often the ones who are blamed. Right. Just straight blamed. Yeah. For it. And and it can be extremely damaging. So yes, I do think people need to tell. I tell them that, but I also think that they I think there needs to be a whole strategy for that. Mm. In, in coming out with this information. Yeah, absolutely. And now you, <clears throat> your book, is, your first book was called Juxtapose Finding Sanctuary on the Outside. What is that? What is outside? What is what outside my family? Okay. And outside the church. Right. I was so messed up with the whole God thing. Right. And I had to go find God outside of that building. And he's, he is, he's there, he's everywhere, you know. <laughs> right. So that worked out. How did you get to a point where you came back to? Because one of your now in your newest book, it's finding sanctuary on the inside. Mm-hmm. There and, is a chapter. And that, yeah. what does what does that look like now? How did you get to the point where you could now be inside? I think just healing. Yeah. Just just being okay. You know, um, people talk about triggers. Right. You know, if you're in a situation and something feels the same as your abuse, or you know, and I think that in churches you can have triggers. As well, right. you know, um, there's certain jargon, there's certain mm-hmm. catchphrases, there's certain maybe songs, traditions, yeah, oh, yeah, mm-hmm. all of that. Um, so you can sit in church, and especially if you've felt betrayed, mm-hmm. you know, if you've been abused and you've had any kind of uh, religious experience whatsoever, I promise you have God issues because oh, yeah. the number one question is, uh, where were you and what were you doing? Well, this was happening to me. Hmm. You know, why didn't you rescue me? So right. how do you, I know you've talked about this before, no longer being, I mean, you were a victim, but you're not a victim. Anymore. Not in the least. Not in the least. And not so least. what does that mean? What is that? Cause that's part of your past, mm-hmm. but how do you make it not part of your, who you are and your, your future? I, Honestly, Cody, when I talk about uh, my experience as a child, it's almost as if I'm talking about someone else. Mm. So when you are renewed by the trans, you know, transformation of your mind, uh, that is a process that I've completely um, been through. Right. Uh, you know, the Bible says, you know, you know, Jesus is talking to his disciples and he says, you know what, if you say to that mountain, be removed, it'll be removed. And so I, of course, prayed that, you know what, Lord, you know, let this mountain be removed. Mm. And so he handed me a shovel. (laughs) Get digging. Get digging. (laughs) Nice. And, you know, but his shovel's bigger than our, 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 our shovels. And, uh, he, he shovels too. Right. And so, um, I think that once you get on the other side of that mountain and you look behind you and you see that your path is flat Mm -hmm. instead of this insurmountable the seemingly insurmountable thing you don't have to worry about gosh am I really healed of this did this you know did did this really happen yeah you know it happened because you did the work right you know so that's why I I am I'm very suspect of these altar call and I I was raised in a tradition where altar calls were a thing you know and you oh yeah every (laughs) week and you left whatever your burden was there Mm -hmm. and you walked out without it and Mm. um, I think that's this instantaneous instantaneous gratification um, at work Mm -hmm. when really it's all about process and giving people grace wherever they are in that process Mm -hmm. and some people's processes are 
maybe stretch over oh, a Lord. long, long time. My grandfather, he died when he was uh, 92, I mm. think. And he died the perfect man, in my mind. Okay. In my mind. And <laughs> God, and that's not to say he wasn't sinless. I'm right, not right, saying right. that. No, no. I'm just saying that he was fully the mm. person he was destined to be. Right. And he had been perfect in my mind since he was, oh, I don't know, maybe 82. Mm. So he had like a whole 10 years of being and existing God, in yeah. this place. Yeah that he had arrived mm. who he needed to be. And what a wonderful, wonderful awesome. man. Yeah. Very cool. Um, <clears throat> how would you say to somebody, or what would you say to somebody? See, as a hope, I, I could see you being a hope giver because mm-hmm. you've gone through some mm-hmm. stuff. You've, you've sat in suffering for mm-hmm. a long time, so you know what it's like and you know that feeling. What would you say to somebody who hasn't necessarily gone through that level of trauma or maybe even not even really any mm-hmm. real trauma, you know, in comparison, I suppose. What would you say to them? How can they be a hope giver? I think it takes a lot of self-reflection. Mm-hmm. And it and there is an empathy, an empathy thing that you really have to have. Right. Just because somebody hasn't gone through, you know, horrific mm-hmm. events doesn't mean that they don't have empathy. Right. Um, so uh, I, I think that empathy piece is really important. And a willingness. Mm. Um, you... You have to, um, I don't know how I want to say this, uh, you, you have to kind of do an inventory of yourself, mm-hmm. I think. You know, and really think about, am I touching the world on a level that I can Im- have an impact, sure. you know? And you can start wherever. Right. And I always tell people, go be a hope giver wherever. Like, mm-hmm. I do the domestic violence, right. you know, right. slash abuse thing because that's my the block I've been around right um, and God wastes nothing and I have no intention of wasting anything right. either you know so I'm gonna I'm gonna stand on the experiences I've had and mm. that's how I'm gonna make an impact I my son he loves you know animals he, mm. he doesn't want to see animals hurting well, okay yeah. go go do that awesome. you know I don't it's it's whatever you want to do because believe me the harvest is ripe and the laborers are perilously yeah. few right so go pick something mm. go feed the homeless you know and yeah. and really I think as a country because I mean I think we'd be remiss if we didn't uh, you know if I'm the hope girl I, I would be absolutely remiss if I didn't acknowledge what's going on in our country right now and you know, in terms of uh, racial division and politics, and and I, I not that I get into all you know, any debates or anything like that. It's just that this world is broken, yeah. And there are a lot of hurting people out there. You could be a hope giver before dinner mm. tonight, You're right? Yeah, just go find it's all around. It's yeah. all around. Mm. So, <clears throat> would you say then that for some people? Okay, can anybody be a hope giver then, or is it somebody you like? It's something that you're like the sympathy. That's something that's inherent to you. Mm-hmm. Is it something that you can learn, or is it just yeah, some people are and some people aren't? Nature nurture. Yeah. No, I think that anyone can be a hope giver. I really do. I mean, I don't know about sociopaths, and you know, <laughs> you know, you might have some really um, right. uh, some really big hurdles. I don't know, but um, no, I think that everyone. Uh, can be a hope giver um, mm. because hope can come in small or large measures. And yeah. I mean, I, I look at children 
in their capacity to bring hope. I mean, a, a, a newborn baby, just all, all a newborn baby has to do is just show up right. and you're filled with yep. hope, you know. That's true. So, so be like a little child. <laughs> I've heard that somewhere. Somewhere. Where have we heard that? Mm, somebody wise said that once. <laughs> hmm. Hmm. Anyway, you in the book you mentioned, and in your talk to you, uh, you mentioned sometimes a hope giver has to take up a sword. Yes. What is that? What do you mean? What, is a, what okay. does that mean? Um, I say that hope givers come with healing in one hand mm -hmm. and a sword in the other. Have you ever heard the quote and... Uh, forgive me because I can't remember who said it. I didn't say it. I stole it. But mm. that hope has two beautiful daughters, mm. anger and courage. Ah. Uh, anger um, at how things are right. and courage to make sure that things do not stay mm. as they are. So you got to Google that uh, out there in podcast land because I yeah. can't remember who said that. It's a, it's a beautiful quote and it's true. And uh, I wrote a chapter in um, in Hope Givers about passivity is not passive, right. uh, and because honestly, you know, people just want to keep the peace, so they don't right. want to make waves. I, my question is, peace for whom? Mm, right. Because for those victims, there is no peace. Right. They're not in peace, and uh, there. I, I think that uh, people misuse their swords. I think everybody has a sword. Mm -hmm. um, when I was uh, in my mean girl stage <laughs> that I talked about uh, last night uh, at the church, I used my sword for terrible things, right. to divide the mm -hmm. body of Christ. I used my sword to micromanage the way mm -hmm. everybody lived their lives. And right. I tried to create them in my own image, and I used my sword to do that. I threatened people with my sword. <laughs> You know what? Honestly, uh, you're a, a true hope giver will only pick up that sword to liberate. Mm. Period. All right. Um, and we're talking child abuse. We're talking misogyny. We're talking right. racism. Mm -hmm. We're talking hunger and war and poverty and addiction and uh, violence. And, and those are the things you need to raise your sword right. for. Mm. I see people raising their swords for who should pee in what bathroom. People are raising their swords to vote for this candidate right. over that candidate because right. this is the godly party and, you know, all of that. Mm, right. um, and they, and, and people, they're slicing and dicing people right. and no one is getting liberated. Nope. No one who is hungry is getting fed. No mm -hmm. one who is thirsty is getting something to drink. Mm -hmm. You know, no one who is sick or imprisoned is getting a visit. Yeah. Because people just want to change the world one snarky face meme at a time. Mm. And that's just not how it's done. And right. I did not write a book about that. Right. Exactly. So. I have a series of questions that I ask every guest. Okay. So, uh, the, and it's usually to wrap up the interview. Okay. So, the first question is, what are you drinking? Uh, right now, at this moment. Or just what your go-to drink would be. Uh, I, I'm drinking a, a large iced skinny chai. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but Riesling really is my <laughs> drink of choice after, you know, mm -hmm. after work. What are you reading? What's currently mm, I just finished the Harry Potter series. <laughs> right. That's right. I, I, 
avoided reading you it missed for that so train long. Somewhere. Well, yeah, you know, if five hundred thousand people are reading, you know, something, I'm usually not. You know, I, I'm not kind of a bandwagon kind right, of girl. Right. Although I did jump on board with the Hunger Games. I was gonna and, say. Oh, I, I, I know. I, I really did do that. But, but no, I I just thought, ah, oh, I'm not a wizard girl. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. and. Um, Honestly, uh, I've never been so happy Isn't to be so, so wrong. Isn't it good? It's okay, so good. Neville Longbottom. Right. That's all I got to say. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, what I'm about to embark on is a lot of Shakespeare com- mm. commentary uh, because I do use two novels by Dr. Gary yeah. Schmidt, and one of them, he integrates a lot of Shakespeare, and I mm. really want to do a better job at uh, integrating that for my right. students. So I'm that's what I'm working on. Okay. So I don't, what are you reading nowadays? I'm reading Shakespeare. Hey, awesome. You can say, oh, you're lying. <laughs> you're such a liar. You're a liar. <laughs> uh, what are you watching? So streaming mm. either on Netflix or Hulu or even plain old broadcast uh, over the air. Okay. What's your show right now? People are flummoxed that I'm not watching what they're watching, whether right, it's right, Outlander right. Oh, or, sure. or Game of Thrones or whatever. <laughs> right. I don't even know what you're talking about. You know why? <laughs> I'm writing. Right. I'm right. busy. Mm-hmm. I don't know. So here's what I watch when mm-hmm. I do sit down to watch. Mm-hmm. I will watch something I have seen a thousand times. Sure. I go yep. through and I I get, uh, like, I think 50 First Dates was the last yeah. one that <laughs> I just sit and I I have to, I, I just have to limit what what... I'm inundated with. I cannot get to know any more characters. I cannot walk through Mm. their journeys with them and and reach that climactic event. I just have to know how this is resolved before I even start. Because (laughs) I'm just not in a place to receive right (laughs) Right now. So I'm really watching nothing. Okay. (laughs) And what are you listening to? Either new music or something, you know, or even old music that you think people should listen to or like a podcast or something that you, mm. you, you think people what should check I out. What am I listening to? What kind of music? I love black gospel. Okay. So that's, uh, I love that. That's always a staple. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. Uh, goodness. I went to a Switchfoot concert mm, for the that. first time. <laughs> And I just want to bake them something. They're all so adorable. Oh my goodness, they're from San Diego. Yeah. And they just have great music. So my girlfriend, Holly Chamberlain. Yes. uh, She has the Amazing Grace Project. Uh, She's fantastic. She and I are going to get a YouTube channel because we're just ridiculous when we get together. And we both talk about very difficult things. You know, I talk about child sexual abuse and she talks about self-harm and suicide prevention. Mm -hmm. And uh, we're going to get a YouTube channel and um, we're going to do videos. Ah, that'd be cool. Uh, Yeah. And, you know, something to the effect of, you know, we can talk about hard things because both of us, when we get together, are hilarious. Yeah. And so we went to the Switchfoot right. concert together and came out and just, you know, we just streamed this yeah, this video. That. It was hilarious. <laughs> and uh, so I said, I'm going to just be on a Switchfoot bender. <laughs> so I feel like you're kind of reliving, uh, you, you're for the first time living the early 2000s with the Harry Potter and Switchfoot. <laughs> I'm so behind the times. It's because I've been writing, right, folks. Right, I get it. <laughs> and then the, the final question in this series is, if I came to visit you, mm-hmm. where are you taking us to eat? 
Mm, my house. There you go. I will cook for you. Food is my love language. <laughs> right. And if I love you, I'm going to feed you. And if mm-hmm. you love me, you're going to eat. <laughs> so. Yes. And you make some great food. So. Thank you. Yeah, Thank you. All right. So how can people um, stay up to date on what you're doing? Where can they find you online mm-hmm. and, and stay connected with you? Well, obviously, I do all the social media stuff. Right. So mm-hmm. for sure, friend me on Facebook, mm-hmm. Daisy Rain Martin. Um, I got. I have Twitter, uh, Pinterest. I've got Instagram, mm-hmm. all that stuff. Um, but my website, yeah. www. and uh, I have a weekly blog, Saturdaysies, mm-hmm. and it has. Uh, it, it's everything. It's it's current events. It's you know matters of the heart. It's right. funny. It can be. Uh, that's where you really get to know me. Right. I think is on yep. Saturdaysies. Um, and, uh, you know, there's just some things in the works, you know, yeah. Holly and I are going to get together, hashtag Holly and Daisy <laughs> and, uh, and hashtag hope givers ha- yep. and hashtag hope tour 2016. There you go. Um, so that's just in a nutshell. Cool. And I would love to just connect with the listeners out there yes. and see how people are spreading hope. Beautiful. And then. Your books, of course, are available. Yes, online, online. Amazon.com. Okay, I'm not on uh, Amazon for my self-published right. book. Okay. And really, honestly, if you want a signed copy of anything, just get on my website. There you go. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you, Daisy. Appreciate it. Thank Thanks you for being sir. here, being my first in-person interview. Yeah. Well, I came Making all the way history. up there. Yes. Thank Had you. to see you. <laughs> Totally Blue Car podcast. You've heard us talk about ways that you could donate to not only the podcast, but to something called the Mission Place. The Mission Place is a 501c3 nonprofit that exists to educate and consult with churches and with uh, church leaders. And when you give to the Mission Place, we wanted to let you know what your money goes to. So I asked Craig to tell us a little bit something about the Mission Place. It's Mission and it's multiple components. Listen in as I ask him about that. So Craig, uh, All That's Holy, our blue collar podcast is just a small part of a bigger picture called The Mission Place. Can you tell us about the other parts of The Mission Place? Well, I think the the, the podcast uh, for us is becoming kind of a a face that we kind of put out there Mm -hmm. and kind of a public face and Hopefully, you know, um, a, a lot of people get a little feel for what our kind of creative sensibilities are and what, what's going on in our minds. But the other, other two major portions that uh, are more specific to um, kind of specific 
group of people are the consulting is the consulting work we do and the educational work we mm-hmm. do. So while the podcast can be for everybody and anybody, the other two things tend to fit for select groups. Mm-hmm. So with the consulting work, we work with churches, uh, denominations, uh, and and other organizations trying to help them figure out how to get through whatever situation or challenge or, or hopeful transformation you know they're they're looking at mm-hmm. and with the education piece it's we're working with folks who are identified as Christian leaders usually by their own churches and helping them kind of move up a notch to have uh, more skills to take on greater responsibility to be able to assist in their congregations or or other ministries to, to take on greater leadership and have some more tools at their disposal to think creatively and imaginatively about what, what their Christian ministry might look like. Hmm. And these two things uh, are a part of the bigger 501c3 that the Mission right. Place is a part of. And so you're running off of donations. Running off of donations and off of uh, fee-for-services rendered. Okay. So if we get a consulting client, you know, that consulting client, uh, for instance, I've got about three three churches or so that I'm working with right now. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as their money comes in, that helps pay for mortgage, groceries, electric bills, but it also covers the cost of running the website, right. uh, paying for the domain name registration and all those kinds of back-end pieces. Yeah. So it's really weighing on the consulting work to, to carry that weight. Yeah. Is there a way that our listeners can help out? Most definitely. Uh, with with the consulting work, so much of what takes place is not things that can actually be charged. Right. You know, I, I do. I try to do a lot of networking. Mm-hmm. Uh, been invited to be a speaker at a number of conferences where there's not really an honorarium. They just say, "Hey, we'll waive the registration costs." So we've got lodging costs mm-hmm. and travel costs that are kind of under, like I would say, marketing or networking costs, and anything that could be done to help, you know. Um, set, offset those costs would be great because those are all out of out of pocket expenses right. for me. And then um, with Seminary Without Walls, with our education uh, endeavors, we're we're in a creative time right now, uh, redeveloping our curriculum, uh, reconnecting with uh, potential students and kind of a, a student base, and, and doing kind of that that recruiting work, and developing a process where we're going to be treating uh, training teachers to kind of carry on our unique method, because I think we've got a different way of teaching at Seminary with All Walls, and we really want to be able to maximize with additional teachers. actually and really? yeah it's pretty big um i think maybe you'll recognize this is something that i'm definitely eternally grateful for and that is this are you ready i'm ready school is starting <laughs> <laughs> school is starting i love summer spending time with my children doing lots of really cool things but there comes a moment when you're sitting in the living room 
maybe trying to work on something, maybe like in my example, sermon. Uh, <clears throat> and can you hear me okay? Yeah, something just blocked out for a little bit there. Okay, but you do hear me now? I hear you now, yeah. Okay. You said when you're sitting in the living room. Okay. Ermin. So I don't know if you got Ermin. Ermin in your in your living room. Okay, ready? When you're sitting in your living room working on your message or sermon as a pastor, ah, you know, something, okay. a project that you've got coming up. Yeah. And maybe, you know, it's your fault because maybe you put it off a little too long. But you're trying to work on this and the house is just filled with fighting between your two children and screaming. I don't know. Okay, so you had some boys. You had a daughter too, right? You have a daughter? Right. Okay. Two, two boys and two girls. Two boys, two girls. Boys, I don't know. Well, I wouldn't know. I'm not a father of sons, so I don't know how they fight. I can imagine how they fight. But I can tell you how two daughters fight. And it's with lots of screaming, lots and lots of screaming, piercing, ear piercing screaming. And the house is just filled. like if you live in a small house, it's just filled. There's nowhere you can go to get away from the ear piercing screams. And so while I love spending the summertime with my children, going to parks, doing some cool things, there are moments when I say, Oh, when does school start? When does school start? And you know what? For us, it's next week. And I will be thankful for a little bit of a reprieve from some of that fighting and screaming. So I am thankful for teachers who are prepared for my students, for my children. I'm thankful for a school system in place that I can send my children to for free. Yeah. And I'm thankful that with all that, they get at least in our school district, a really good education. So <sighs> I'm thankful. I'm thankful for the summer, of course, but I'm thankful that school is starting next. So um, so it's very, very personal to you that your kids are going back to school. Yes. And, it's, and it's, it means a lot to you. Not, but but their education and the quality of that they're receiving is kind of secondary. <laughs> Do I sound a little self-centered here? No, I wouldn't say self-centered is the word. Well, yeah, I guess I might. <laughs> so, um, so you're like you're like in that. Um, Oh, what I, can't, I forgot what office supply store it is, but they the commercial I haven't seen it this year, but in the years past was mother or father going down the aisles with the grocery cart singing it's the most wonderful time of the year. I am. I'm the parent walking down the aisle. It's the most wonderful time of the year. That's me. So so let's let's add that tune into one of our uh, um, uh, pieces of music that we have in there. Perfect. I could just hear Andy Williams singing it for me, you know. And... Mm-hmm. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, well, yeah. Um, but yeah, that's me. And that's what I'm thankful for. School starting. Well, you know, and it's the same thing when you don't have kids in the house any longer. Yeah. Or I shouldn't say that. I mean, our son was with us over the summer. Mm-hmm. But uh, for this summer, I, I, I uh, work out for myself every morning. Then, then after I would work out for myself, there were three college athletes I was I was training right. over the summer and then um, get home have a few hours but 
um, you know, my wife would be around and she'd have, you know, things to do here, there, whatever. And right. sometimes just, just wanting conversation. And, and I think I value that about, about Carla, that she wants to talk to me. Mm-hmm. Um, however, uh, it reduces the things that get done. And so the fact that all three of these college students, they all went off to school. And since Carla's a teacher, yeah. she goes off to school. Yeah. And, and so that, that whole semester you know spring fall fall spring summer kind of routine yep uh i'm still in it yeah because of my family right and i'm really glad they're back at school (laughs) love it get a little time to do a couple other things i get it yeah in Mm -hmm. fact i already got uh two articles written this week oh see you know, it's Perfect. like, okay, that's, that's, that's what I'm talking about. That's exactly. Now, now you understand where I am. I knew you would get it. Oh yeah. Yeah. I was thinking about it myself last <laughs> weekend. I was thinking about that, that office supply commercial. It's the most wonderful time of the year. Yes, it, it is. Yes, it is. <laughs> simple, simple things to be thankful for. <laughs> Love it. That's oh. what I am thankful for. It's the most wonderful time of the year. It's that time of year again. They're going back. It's back to school time at Staples. Over 7,000 supplies at guaranteed low prices. It's the most wonderful time of the year. Staples. That was easy. Okay, so here we go. There we go. Are you got you got the timer going? Oh shoot! <laughs> How much time do you get? One minute. I get one minute. You get one minute rebuttal. Okay. Let me go to the timer. Not five hours. No, no. One minute. Okay, it's ready. And Craig, you're on the clock. All right. So I, I did mention in a Facebook post a while ago that I'm just getting a, a little tired of profanity. Not that I'm saying I don't use profanity. I'll use it you know, from time to time in appropriate situations. I just don't like it all the time. I'm kind of tired of all the LAMOs and WTFs and all the illusion and euphemism of, of profanity that's you know, kind of all over the place. And it's become so common, it doesn't have any effect. And one of the effects of profanity is that it reduces our experience of pain. So one of the really interesting psychological studies was putting your college students, putting their hands in buckets of ice water, and those who swore were able to withstand the pain longer than those who didn't. And I wonder if we use you know, these terms in excess, do we lose our ability to withstand pain, to relieve, relieve stress, and end up just cre- creating ourselves, or setting ourselves up to be more stressed? You nailed it. All right, Craig, <clears throat> here's my rebuttal. So I can't cite studies to you because you have one to back you up uh, about the reduction of pain. And I think that's a great point. However, it has been found, and I, I'm sure researchers have done this, and I'll find it later, but that people, <laughs> <laughs> people who swear a lot are usually the most honest people. Um, they found to be, you know, and, and, and in a way that makes sense because people are just being real and honest about what they're feeling in the moment at that time. They're just letting it fly. There's no pretense. There's no veneer. They're not holding back. 
They're just telling you exactly how they feel. Now, we can talk about whether or not always being 100% completely honest with your feelings in that sense, like in a (laughs) whatever, (laughs) is always the right thing. But it should be noted that people who swear the most are often the most honest people. Uh, And so that's my counter to you. And wow. That's awesome. <laughs> so here, here we've got something at Loggerheads. We need to ask people on our Facebook page to, to chime in on there this. There you go. Ooh, a good poll. Yeah. Is, is, does, do those who swear or swear frequently or whatever it is, uh, does it affect their levels of stress positively or negatively? Mm-hmm. What's their experience? Right. And those people who swear, um, are, they, are they more honest? More honest, more real. Yeah. Okay. I like it. Interesting. Interesting. That'd be a great one to ask, ask people what they think. Don't do that. I was trying to hang it up. And you, <laughs> you hung, you, as soon as you hung up, the button changed colors, and I tapped it, and I was like, oh, no, it's going to call again. All right, bye. bye. <laughs>